Good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you, Bert. Great job, as always. And let's go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. We're continuing our study of the prophetic subject of the day of the Lord here on Wednesdays, and we'll be on this subject for quite a while, definitely more than a year it'll take us to go through the whole subject. And uh, tonight, uh, we, uh, we continue our study of the 70 weeks prophecy, because as we've been pointing out in our the first couple of classes, uh, there are David the Lord prophecies that have already been fulfilled in history. So we've noted that, but now we're actually studying the ones that are prophetic and what we would call eschatological, eschatology, the study of future things. So uh, as part of that eschatological day of the Lord, the prophetic day of the Lord, uh, the prophecies that we're awaiting to be fulfilled, uh, we have to investigate the 70th week of Daniel. So to do that, we need to really study the whole 70 weeks prophecy in which the 70th week of Daniel is found. So that's what we're doing. And so tonight, as you can see on the board, we'll be looking at the sixfold purpose of the 70 weeks of Daniel, which, as we pointed out, is equivalent to 490 prophetic years. And as we'll study in detail, we've noted this already, but we're going to study it at each point, uh, each uh, each of these verses, verses 24 through 27 of Daniel 9, we'll be noting um, uh, the, uh, the, when the prophecy begins of the 70 weeks prophecy and when the uh, 70th week of Daniel begins and uh, how it's broken up into two different sections, three and a half year sections, and how it ends with the second advent to Christ. So we got a lot of ground to cover. And so during this study of the 70th week of Daniel, one of the big characters, of course, as everybody knows, is the Antichrist. And so there's a lot of, when I, when I go to this, taught on this subject, in fact, I taught on the subject of the Antichrist um, just before, when I was in Massachusetts, just before I left, in between books. And I, it's amazing, you know, because with the advent of the in, internet and everything, you have, people have all these crazy false teachings about the Antichrist, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about who he is and where he's coming from. And, and so we're going to discuss that in great detail as we go through uh, this subject of the Day of the Lord. And, and in particular, the 70th week of Daniel, which is the big dispensation for the eschatological day of the Lord, the prophetic day of the Lord prophecies. So again, this is what we'll be looking at, the sixfold purpose of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And, and just a preview of coming attractions as well, in the next month or so, we'll be noting uh, the beginning of the 70 weeks. There's, a, uh, there's a, a particular decree in history that marked the beginning of the 70th week, a uh, 70 weeks prophecy. And then we'll note the end of the 69th week. And then following that, the next class after that, uh, after next week's class in two weeks, we'll be noting the events that uh, uh, take place between the 69th and the 70th week. Now, we've noted these in passing, but we're going to note them in detail, and we'll take a whole class for that. Then we'll be noting Antichrist Treaty and uh, what, uh, what that's all about. And then following that, we'll be looking at the Antichrist suspending uh, this treaty, breaking the treaty, and then uh, lastly, the last class this month with regards to the subject of the day of the Lord, we'll be noting the Antichrist desecrating the temple, the rebuilt Jewish temple. So, and then we, we continue on. So, uh, it is uh, going to be a lot of fun to do this. I enjoy teaching this subject. It's an easy, to me, it's an easy subject to do. And as I said before, I've been, uh, prophecy is like something that was the reason why I got saved. I, a guy who was, led me to the Lord was big time into prophecy. And so when I, when I got to Bob's church, I, had, I was already studying a lot under, um, before I ran into the, the colonel's teacher, but his uh, contemporaries like John Wolverd, who was the second president of uh, Dallas, Schaefer, 
Dwight Pentecost, who we just went home to be a Lord. They did a lot of stuff uh, with regards to prophecy. So I was pretty well in, uh, indoctrinated with that before I even got to Bob's church. So um, eschatology is uh, very important. Of course, in our day and age, it's abused and people don't use it properly. And, uh, and so uh, we've addressed that issue. We'll continue to address it as we go through this subject of the day of the Lord. So uh, also remember, our, we're back on our normal schedule. And uh, I always find that when you uh, out of the usual schedule, I'm a, I'm a big time, uh, what do I call it? Uh, I have a certain um, uh, thing I do. I have a, 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 what do they call that? Routine. Routine, thank you. Routine, and so I'm a routine guy. So, um, uh, so when you get me out of my routine, it's uh, like I've, you know, vacation time, or whatever that. It's always a challenge to make sure you, uh, you know, the, the basics. You continue with your everyday life. You never, you never take a day off from God and you know your fellowship. So, but um, so I, I uh, so the, t this week, uh, this uh, this month, we resume the uh, the normal schedule. So the last Wednesday of each month, we have our corporate pre prayer meeting. So that's following on following on the 31st of January. So Wednesday at 6 p.m., we have our corporate prayer meeting, and that's on the 31st of this month. So we've had an excellent turnout. I'm very pleased with it. So uh, that's uh, a very good, uh, that's, that's very good to see. I enjoyed that. And uh, so uh, what else? I think that's about it. So we're going to, uh, oh, by the way, we continue our studies on Sundays of Habakkuk. We're, we're going to be, uh, we're continuing through the third chapter. So before you know it, we'll be done with Habakkuk. So I haven't decided which book in the New Testament I'm going to do when we finish Habakkuk, but uh, I'll let you know when I decided on it. And uh, so without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. Look around, you all know what to do. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given to us so generously and so graciously, another day to enjoy creation and to uh, continue forward in your plan to become like your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for uh, the freedoms that we have in this country. We thank you for our leaders, military and political. I pray that you give them the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. And I pray you would raise up people around them in their periphery that will uh, give them godly advice or at least establishment principles and uh, with regards to the uh, governing this country. I also uh, pray, Father, for the church in America uh, that, and around the world, but in particular in America, that they would uh, remi remember, you remind them through the Spirit and the Word, their responsibility to not only obey their leaders, but also, unless there's biblical justification not to do so, but also to pray for their leaders, as you say, teach us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-8. through 8. Instead of complaining, remind us to pray for them. I also uh, thank you for each uh, this ministry, and uh, I thank you for the, the great honor and privilege that you've given me uh, to uh, be the pastor of this local assembly that you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus, at Calvary. I just thank you, Father, for the leadership in our ministry, and I pray you would give us uh, to, uh, the wisdom to lead this uh, congregation in a fashion that pleases you. 
I thank you for everyone that is here this evening, that has taken time out of their busy weeks and trials and tribulations that they're going through, and uh, to uh, come and hear the Word of God, and we know you keep a record of those who attend Bible classes, and uh, we know that uh, the elect angels don't miss classes, and uh, they're here because they look uh, long to look into the things that are so great salvation, Father, as your Word teaches us in 1 Peter 1.12. So we thank you, Father, for uh, this time to study your Word, and particularly the subject of the Day of the Lord. I just pray that you would help each person in the audience to learn, understand, and uh, make careful application of what they're being taught uh, by the Spirit, help them to do this, and also for myself as the communicator, help me to be humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction, and to deliver your full counsel today with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power, so we can continue forward uh, in your plan, continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. I also, Father, lift up uh, 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 our brother in Christ, uh, Ray Perkins. I pray, Father, that you would give the doctors and uh, nurses wisdom in treating him and help them figure out what's uh, going on with him so he can uh, be back with us and to, to get rid of the, uh, the fever he gets from time to time and the, and the fatigue. So I just pray, Father, that for him, that you, so that he can come back, because I miss him uh, when he's here holding court back in the fellowship hall and also is sitting in front of me. And so we just pray, Father, for him and this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we noted in our previous classes, there are many of the day, there are many day of the Lord prophecies which will be fulfilled during the 70th week of Daniel. And uh, most students of the Bible, in particular biblical prophecy, as we've been pointing out, know the prophecy of the 70th week of Daniel helps to compose the prophecy of the 70 weeks, which is recorded in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. So today, as part of this study of the uh, eschatological or prophetic day of the Lord, in other words, the prophecies of the day of the Lord that are, are yet future, and uh, we're going to be noting the sixfold purpose of the 70 weeks of Daniel, because we really can't understand these, uh, these, uh, the 70th week if we don't understand uh, the purpose of the 70th week along with the other uh, 69 weeks that have been uh, 483 prophetic years that have already been fulfilled in history in minute detail. So again, as I said before, uh, the, the, the first dispensation that we'll be noting that's prominent in these future prophecies of the day of the Lord, these prophetic day of the Lord, is the 70th week of Daniel. But if we're going to study the 70th week of Daniel, we need to look at the whole prophecy and not just pull out the 70th week. Because a lot of people, they look at that, but they don't understand Okay, the, the mechanics of this, and although how it's what these weeks are, in, in the sense they're prophetic weeks and not literal weeks. So this is very important. So the the, the seventy weeks of Daniel are four hundred ninety prophetic years, and as we pointed out in previous classes, and we'll continue to go uh, verse by verse in this prophecy, uh, pointing out that uh, the uh, four hundred eighty three of these have been filled in history, and that's equivalent to sixty nine weeks in this prophecy in minute detail. And after the sixty ninth week. We had three events that had taken place that had been fulfilled in history with the crucifixion of Christ and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. That's Daniel 9.26. And we'll be looking at that verse also in the next couple of weeks. And then the Antichrist begins the, the 70th week by making a treaty with Israel, but he can't appear on the pages of history until the church has been raptured, as Paul, and I've been pointing this out, and we'll be going to this passage, 
uh, when we study the rapture in relation to the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, the church has to be removed at the rapture. Rapture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-12 through 12 teaches us that because the Holy Spirit who indwells the church is the restrainer in that passage in verses 4 and 6. It's his omnipotence working through the church who's obeying his, what he's teaching us in Scripture that is the reason why, reason why evil is not proliferated uh, even further. We are the salt of the earth and the, the Christian, the born-again believer who's practicing the word of God, the teaching of the Lord. And so when we do that, we're, we're hindering the appearance of the Antichrist. So when the Holy Spirit, who's localized in the church today, is removed at the rapture, so is the, the means by which God restrains evil in the appearance of the Antichrist removed as well, namely the omnipotence of the person of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we see that uh, we are, the next prophetic event that we're waiting for is the rapture, when the rapture is the resurrection of the church, and the dead in Christ get their resurrection bodies a split second before those who are alive at the time of the rapture, and so our sanctification and salvation will be perfected at that time, we no longer will have a, uh, a, a sinful nature that we now have which is the reason why we ended up deteriorating physically and then eventually dying physically. And it's the reason also why we're selfish and self-centered sinners by nature and practice. So uh, this is as a result of the imputation of Adam's sin and the garden of, uh, after, at our physical birth. And so that's why we're all physically alive yet spiritually dead. And that's, thus we need to be born again. And we receive that uh, regeneration at the moment of justification, a subject we studied in detail when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And we're going to read, we'll probably end up reading the beginning of the chapter as well, uh, and all the way up to verse 23, just, uh, because there's some things I want to, uh, in this uh, in this lesson, to show you. And uh, what was preceding the 70 weeks prophecy, it brings out something about prayer, uh, principle two. So, because Daniel receives this prophecy as a result of answered prayer. In fact, he gets more than he bargained for. I mean, what he was asking for was not this, but God gave it to him anyways. So that's often the case with God, who's very generous with his children. So Daniel 9, 24, reading from the NIV, for those who are on the podcast, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, uh, most holy place. So here we have the sixfold divine objectives for this 70 weeks prophecy, these 490 prophetic years, which actually, and I brought this out in passing, but really the 70 weeks prophecy is basically the outline for the discipline of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, in fact, the, the end of the 70 weeks prophecy, the 70th week of Daniel as well, is coincides with the termination of the times of the Gentiles. And both of those, the 70 weeks prophecy, the 70th week of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles will end with the second advent of Christ. So the reason why Israel has been going through what they've been going through is because of discipline. And of course, what's interesting as well, the church is composed of both Jewish and Gentile believers. So we would call them Messianic Jews. They form one wing of the church 
and the Gentiles, you and I, form the other wing. And so God has always set aside a remnant of Jewish believers in every dispensation, in every de generation of every dispensation. So he's, that's the doctrine of the remnant of Israel, and we'll be studying that doctrine in the future as well, a very important one. And that's why uh, also uh, we can say that the promises that God made under the unconditional covenants that he made with Israel, the, the Abrahamic, the land covenant, the Davidic and new covenant, all those covenants guarantee the future of the nation of Israel. But she is under discipline. Only a small remnant has believed in the Messiah. But that's going to end at the second advent of Christ because at the second advent, when Christ comes with us, the elect angels, the tribulational martyrs and resurrection body, the Old Testament saints and resurrection body, he will establish the kingdom on earth at that time, not only will he remove Satan and the fallen angels for a thousand years and destroy Antichrist and the false prophet and uh, the tribulation armies, but he will establish the kingdom of God on earth. So that's the a whole prophetic uh, expectation of the Old Testament and the nation of Israel. In fact, uh, the, Jew, the Orthodox Jews today, uh, most, Jew, most Jews are not Orthodox. And, and they call themselves in America Reformed. Many of them are atheists. And many of them are like uh, Catholics. Roman Catholics don't really, they're Catholics, but they don't really practice their religion. So uh, this is what we got. The majority of, of Jews are not Orthodox. But there is an Orthodox group in Israel today who are getting the temple ready. They had the materials for that. They had the cornerstone, which actually was a busted, but they got a new one. And then they have this Levitical sacrifices they'll be able to renew when they start it up. But the only thing that's hindering this is the Dome of the Rock. We know that Solomon's Temple, archaeology, archaeological digs are all over the place out there. And we know that they have, you can go to websites on, online, you can see, and these guys who are archaeologists, and I know some archaeologists that uh, through uh, correspondence with with uh, and Facebook messaging, but they you know they know that the Solomon's Temple and on top of Solomon's Temple was on the ruins of that we have uh, was a was a Rubbable's Temple that we studied with the Book of Haggai, which became Herod's Temple because he expanded upon that. And Herod's Temple is was huge, and that's underneath the ruins there on the Dome of the Rock where that Muslim mosque is. Well, one day that temple will be built. How that's going to happen, we do not know, and people like to speculate. I try to stay away from speculation as much as possible. The Bible just doesn't tell us. I would suspect that the Antichrist is going to have something to do with this because he'll come like a big peace leader. And, of course, as we know, he's going to be uh, the greatest, uh, uh, the greatest uh, benefactor of the military-industrial complex of the, the United States of Europe during the tribulation period. This guy worships weaponry and military uh, capability. So, as we'll see in the future, with passages like Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to the end of that chapter, which talks about his character and movements during the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel. So, Daniel uh, 9.24 says, 77s are decreed for your people, and your holy city, to finish transgression, we're going to know each of these six-fold purposes, uh, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, that's the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens, that's equivalent to 49 prophetic years. This was fulfilled during the period of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the of city of Jerusalem. And the 62 sevens, which are 434 prophetic years equivalent to, and they go contiguous with the first 49 or the first 
seven sevens, okay? Then it says, it will be rebuilt, Jerusalem will, in, Jeru was, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. That's what the book of Nehemiah is all about. And so, that particular verse we'll be noting next week. And then it says in verse 26, so after that, the 483rd prophetic year, or the 69th week, there are three events prophesied in verse 26, which have been fulfilled literally in history in 70 AD. Uh, excuse me, uh, two of them in 70 AD, one in 33 AD with the crucifixion of Christ. So after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. That's the Messiah. That means he'll actually be executed as a criminal, is what the verb says there in Hebrew, and will have nothing. And the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is very important, as we'll see. We're going to be looking at this in detail. The people of the Romans, because they're the ones that destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD and the temple. Okay? Now, the ruler of the people, that ruler who will come, future ruler, he's the one is the he in verse 27. That's the Antichrist. So this is telling us, and we'll look at this in great detail when we get to it, the Antichrist is going to be a Roman. Now, this is the first thing people do. The Romans are nothing today. Where are they? Well, guess what? You ever hear Humpty Dumpty, couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Well, as J. Vernon McGee said, the Roman Empire will be put back together again. In fact, they've been trying to put the Roman Empire back together for many times, for many years, for centuries. Even Hitler was trying to do this. People don't realize. So the whole, the whole Roman Empire will be brought back together with this Roman dictator. Okay, so then it says the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant. Who will? The ruler who will come. He came from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. He, the Roman ruler that's to come. He will confirm a covenant with the many. It's this leadership of the, of the Israelites for one seven. That's the 70th week. The, 40, the 70th prophetic, uh, the, uh, the, the 490th prophetic year. In the middle of the seven, three and a half years. And again, this whole prophecy is according to Jewish reckoning of time as I've been bringing out. 360 day calendar. That's got to be important. And one of the great uh, scholars of the past, uh, his name is Sir Robert Anderson, uh, before Schaefer and Theme and Pentecost and Wilbur, there was a guy who was, a, I believe, was a lawyer in, in England in the 1800s. He is Sir Robert Anderson, and he actually came, figured out, oh, wait a minute, this is 360-day calendar. And so he did a lot of things to uh, help with the uh, understanding of this prophecy and then other guys built on him. So he says, he will confirm a many, the Antichrist will, for one seven, and in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. That's the desecration of the temple by the Antichrist that breaks the treaty. We'll be noting this as well in detail. And on the wing of the temple, he will set an abomination. The, that's an incorrect translation for having the abomination in singular form. It's in the plural in the Hebrew. As we'll see when we get to this, it's abominations. And this is very important because there's two abominations that, G, that, that is being talked about here in Scripture. So it's plural, and Jesus mentions one, and Romans of Revelation 13 does as well. This, the, the abomination, one of them is the uh, false prophet building an image of the Antichrist to be worshipped. He brings it to life. Okay? And so that's one abomination. Jesus mentions this in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, which is all about this 70th week, okay, in the second advent, as we pointed out. Now, he says, when you see it standing, and he's speaking, as we saw, to a different generation, the generation that will be living at the time of the Antichrist, the 70th week, okay? So he says, when you see that, 
to the Jewish people at that time, run. Leave the city. And that will be, that will be the final dispersion of the Jews. And so the other one, Paul mentions, and actually Daniel is being, receiving this from Gabriel, the Antichrist will be sitting uh, between the wings of the cherub and the, and the Ark of the Covenant that will be rebuilt, okay, in the future. Now, listen carefully. That uh, the, when Moses was speaking to, uh, to the Lord, the, you know, many of the Jews believe, and I believe it as well, the footstool for the Lord's feet is the lid of that covenant, of that ark, okay? So the Antichrist is going to mimic God there. That's an abomination, okay? So that's when the Armageddon campaign starts. In the older translations in Matthew 24, that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15, then great tribulation has not been seen in the history of the world. That's where we get the expression great tribulation. It literally means great tribulation. And this tribulation is distinct from any in human history. He says when you, that, that, that uh, great tribulation period, okay? So Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4, he mentions the Antichrist sitting. So he talks about the abomination that Daniel's talking about of sitting on, between the wing of the cherub on the rebuilt Ark of the Covenant. So that's the 70 weeks prophecy. Now let me give you my translation. Remember, our, our lesson is on the sixfold purpose of the 70 weeks, the 490 prophetic years, which is basically the outline for the discipline of the nation of Israel. Okay? So Daniel 9.24, and uh, my translation, and if you ever want to look at any of my translations, including this one, you can go online at Winston.org and you can download, and I go in exhaustive detail in the, into the grammar and everything of the Hebrew. Okay, so I give you an explanation in great detail of my translations, all of them. I always do that. All right, so I don't just, then I'm just not making this up, out of, out of, pulling this out of my hat. All right, so this is very important. So it says 70 units of seven years. I love the translation of the NIV, seven, seven, 77. That's very good. 70 units of seven years, I write, uh, and, and translating from the Hebrew of this text. 70 units of seven years have been decreed for the benefit of your people, as well as for the benefit of your holy city, in order to put an end to the rebellion. Okay, that's the first purpose. And actually all, the first three are connected together and the last three are connected to each other. And in addition to bring sin to an end, as well as to atone for iniquity. So these three, as we'll see, are all interrelated. And they all speak of a certain, they'll all be fulfilled at a certain day in the future called the Day of Atonement, which is going to be basically the day that we have a national regeneration of the nation of Israel. Okay? Then it says, likewise, to bring about everlasting righteousness as well as the seal of prophetic vision in addition to anoint the most holy place. All of these will be fulfilled in, the, in, in relation to each other on the same period of time as well. As we'll see, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So the angel Gabriel, here in this passage, brings, uh, begins to give Daniel an answer to his prayer because that's what Daniel is doing when he gets this revelation from Gabriel. So the angel Gabriel brings to, uh, begins the, uh, this uh, whole thing with, uh, to give Daniel an answer to his prayer, which ultimately is above and beyond what Daniel asked for. This is what we often see that God does in prayer. Ephesians 3.20 talks about that, and, I can, and like many of you, I can bear a testimony to that. Now remember, again, Daniel was interceding for the Jewish exiles in Babylon because of Jeremiah's prophecy. 
as recorded in Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, and Jeremiah 29, 10 and 14. So the reason why Daniel got this prophecy is he was interceding for his people, and the reason why he was interceding for his people is because he knew this prophecy of Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Daniel. So they read each other. They were, no, they were getting revelation from each other, and he is reading Jeremiah. Yeah, there's no competition like there are between pastors today in America. Disgraceful. And no, they're on the same team, Jeremiah and Daniel, okay? So Daniel was interceding for the Jewish exiles in Babylon because of Jeremiah's prophecy recorded in Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, and Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, and was praying that God's will for Israel, as revealed in Jeremiah's prophecy, would be accomplished. Now, this is very important. Prayer is only effective it's according to, unless it's according, if it's according to God's will. So some people say, well, prayer always is a, is a problem. So I'm doing always. No. Sometimes, sometimes, like Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he prayed, Lord, three times. He, was, uh, he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was extremely painful. And he asked God three times to take it away, and he wouldn't take it away. So sometimes God says no to prayer for his own purpose. It was for the spiritual growth and humility of, of Paul. So we see that Daniel, his prayer was answered because he was praying according to God's will. And prayer is at, and we'll be doing this subject in the future as well on a Wednesday. 37 hours we'll be doing it. And we'll go through all the prayers of the Old Testament, many of them, and the New Testament prayers of Paul and others. And we see that prayer must be according to the Father's will. Jesus said this, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He asked the Father to take the cup of wrath away from him. And the Father said no. Even it say, okay, so in Jesus, when he asked this, he was asking basically, I don't want to lose fellowship with you. If there's any way possible to, to solve this problem, any other way, good. But he said, the father said, no, this is what we have to do. And so we have, he, 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 so this tells you that prayer is only effective if it's according to the will of God. And so this is why we have Daniel getting this, this, uh, this answer that he gets. So Daniel's prayer. For the Jewish exiles, as recorded in Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 19, makes clear that this is what Daniel was praying for. However, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, makes clear that Gabriel provides him with more information with regards to the future of his nation than he asked for. Therefore, we see that the prophecy of the 70 weeks not only answered Daniel's prayer, that the Jewish exiles would return from Babylon to their homeland after 70 years, but also provided Daniel a comprehensive understanding of God's program for the nation of Israel. By doing this, this is the future of the earth, planet earth. As I told you at the beginning in the introduction to this subject of the day of the Lord, you and I have been, I've been privileged to know what God's going to do in the future. You know, prophecy is another reason why God wants us to study prophecy. And two-thirds of the Bible has yet to been fulfilled is he wants to let his children know what he's doing. We're friends of Jesus. Jesus talks about it in John 15, the, the, the uh, vine and the branches passage. We're friends of the Lord. We're his bride. He's going to tell his bride what's coming down the pike. Even though the, we're not going to be in this dispensation in the future, he's telling us anyways. One, to motivate us to live in a life that, in a manner that's consistent with who God made us to be and what he's going to do in the future but also to motivate us to evangelize through our words and our actions, not just our words, our actions. Because if our actions are not godly, our testimony has been blown. So the prophecy not only made clear 
that Jerusalem would be built, but that her Messiah would appear, but would be rejected. And thus, she would be disciplined again for rejecting her Messiah, and Jerusalem would once again be destroyed. So let's go to the beginning. We're going to go flip, uh, go to Daniel 9 1. Go back to the go to beginning of the chapter. Look at Daniel 9 1. And we'll flip over to Jeremiah as well. Now, always remember, you know, people would say to me, well, how do you remember these things above these passages? Look at, I'm not, okay, I, I don't have, my IQ is, is, is just average, I believe, maybe below, just above room temperature. The reason why I can remember these things, and this is how I am, and I think most people would be like this, and I'm sure these guys, are, I know these guys are brilliant and everything. It's just repetition. It's just repetition. I've been doing it for so long, I've been studying it for so long, I just know it, and the Holy Spirit can call it because I've memorized it because I've gone to these things so often. So that's all. So the, the reason, the, if you want to get to that level where you can remember these things, just keep studying the scriptures and, and be a plugger. You know, don't be, you know, don't just look at, pay attention to one day at a time and just keep plugging and every day a little bit more, a little bit more, you'll pick up and, and reading scripture, praying, following your pastor and his teaching, and you will, you stay, let me tell you something, you're in this ministry, if I, if I live for another 20 years, okay, you're in my ministry, you're going to learn a lot. I'm telling you right now, you will learn a lot and you benefit, and I'll tell you, the other thing that goes along with that, you will suffer. You will go through trials and tribulations because what you know will be, what we know is God's going to say, okay, you know this? Okay, good. Now let's see if you really know it. Experientially, you're going to have to put it into practice. So yeah, we're privileged to get this information. I'm privileged to be able to teach the Word of God. I'm privileged that God give me these years of my adult life to learn these things. But I also have to be accountable for what I'm teaching and living in the and being consistent with it. And that goes for you as well because you're in my congregation. So Daniel 9.1 says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler of the Babylon, over the Babylonian kingdom, in his first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Stop now and hold at your place and go to Jeremiah now. <coughs> Chapter 25. Look at verse 11. I'll hop up there. Jeremiah 25, 11. So Jeremiah, and I've said this many times, is one of the greatest men of the Old Testament. He was a young, young man when he became called by God. And most of his life he was single. Okay? Now he was a man that was told to go to his people and say, you've got to capitulate and, and bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, otherwise you won't live. That doesn't make a popular guy. Okay? Basically, they considered him a traitor. But everything he said came true. In fact, he proclaimed, he was God's mouthpiece to proclaim to the nations what God's judgment was coming. Okay? And including the southern kingdom of Judah. So he is a great man of God who is a perfect example, a classic example. And that's why many people in Jesus' day thought Jesus was the, uh, came back, it was Jeremiah, came back from the dead. Okay, if you look in the Gospels. Because they call him the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem. 
So, so here we have uh, Jeremiah. He's a great example for pastors that you teach not to please people, but to please God. And most guys don't have the guts to do that. They're scared to death and they, they, their offerings will go down or people throw them out. You can't teach the word of God like that. You have to be bold. You have to stick to the scriptures. You're a God pleaser and not, and not like Daniel, David was and not like Saul who was a people pleaser. Uh, the worst pastors are the people pleasers. I will say things that will convict you and hurt you. Not deliberately to try to hurt you, or deliberate, but to follow the Holy Spirit. He will convict you, and he's trying to help you and I to grow to spiritual maturity. So there'll be times that you'll be convicted, hit right between the eyes, and like, ah, oh, what? And you'll also be encouraged. You'll be exhorted to further, uh, instructed in righteousness and exhorted to go forward in God's plan. I'll, you'll have me, you know, the Holy Spirit will have me challenging you and trying to get you, you know, basically, in other words, motivated through the Spirit to go forward in His plan. That's why sometimes you might come out of here and you're like ready to march to war right now. And there are other days you come out of here and you go, man, I got wrecked today. <laughs> okay? That's good. That's a, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit in the man's ministry. So he says this, Jeremiah 25, verse 11, it says, this whole country, speaking of the southern kingdom of Judah, will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king, nations he talked about in the Mediterranean part of the world that were neighbors of, of Judah. They will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, now that's literally 70 years, okay? There's nothing in the context that's like Daniel chapter 9, which would think otherwise. Then it's, but it's, it's important because it's, reason why we have 70 is a big number in the 70 weeks prophecy. So, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, and this is Daniel's reading this, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation. He did it with the Medo-Persians. Daniel chapter 5 talks about that, with Belshazzar's death. The land of the Babylonians, for their guilt. We saw this in the back of chapter 2, right? Declares the Lord and will make it desolate forever. Isn't it interesting? The stuff that we're studying, it intersects with each other. Of course, it's the word of God. That's the brilliance of the Holy Spirit. I always, I'm, I was amazed how things just dovetail and everything. Now look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Hop up there. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's look at verse 10. We'll start there. Again, this is what Daniel was reading when he was interceding in prayer for his people who were in exile in Babylon. Okay? Like he was. Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Back to the land of promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, I've done so many funerals over the years. By the way, I love funerals because people are humble. And you give them the gospel, okay? And you could talk about, and you could and challenge the believers who are, who are not doing, not uh, uh, aren't zealous for the Lord as they should. Funerals are a good thing to wake people up, okay? Because everybody's humble, and especially if there's somebody that has just been lost, that came to, they're lost, they, they, they were beloved and they, were, they died young or something like that, like my brother Kenny. You can really get those people because they're locked in. Okay, what does the pastor have to say to me? Okay, what does this guy have to say to me that's going to encourage me? I always use this, okay? But in context, in context, this was for the nation of Israel, the exiles in Babylon. 
And of course, this is true for the church as well. You could say it's true. But this was actually literally written for the Jewish people in exile. So he says in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Now Daniel's reading this. And you know what Daniel is? Boom, he goes right into prayer. And he's praying for this to take place. He's praying for God's will to take place that the exiles will come back from Babylon after the seven-year period. See how he's doing it? That's why I said in the past, the great prayer warriors like this guy, Daniel, they knew the word of God and they prayed for it. They prayed for what God was doing. And so for us, the example is, we need to do the same thing. We have the mystery doctrine for the church age in the New Testament epistles, and we and, and John 13 through 17, those chapters, and the upper room discourse of our Lord, the mystery doctrine of the church age, and we must learn that, the spiritual life, and the things that God wants us to do, which is to grow to maturity and pray for that. Okay? So it says in verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. And it did take place in history. This was fulfilled. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I, I carried you into exile. You may say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king and who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in the city. Your countrymen will not go into exile with you. Uh, not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty sends, says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs that are so bad that they cannot be eaten. Now go back to G uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So again, back to these points I just gave to you, and the reason why we went to those prophecies in Jeremiah. We see that Daniel... In Daniel 9.20, Daniel chapter 9, he was interceding for the Jewish exiles in Babylon, remember, because of Jeremiah's prophecy, which we just read it, read, read it, read it, read and was recorded in Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, and Jeremiah 29, 10-14. And thus he was praying that God's will for Israel, as revealed in Jeremiah's prophecy, would be accomplished. Daniel's prayer for the Jewish exiles, as recorded in Daniel 9, 3 through 19 makes clear that this is what Daniel was praying for. However, Daniel 9, 24 through 27 makes clear that Gabriel provides him with more information with regards to the future of the nation of Israel. So therefore, we see the prophecy of the 70 weeks not only answered Daniel's prayer that the Jewish exiles would return from Babylon to their homeland after 70 years, but also provided Daniel a comprehensive understanding of God's program for the nation of Israel. The prophecy not only made clear that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, but that her Messiah would appear, but would be rejected. And thus, she would be disciplined again for rejecting her Messiah, and Jerusalem would once again be destroyed. Never forget the reason why that we know the Jewish people, this is not anti-Semitism, the prophets of Israel said this would happen, and the greatest of the prophets, Jesus said this would happen, the blood will be on your heads that crucified Christ, and it has. And on your children, they said that he may Jesus' blood be on us and our children. And guess what? That's what happened. And the only way the Jewish people, like the Gentiles, can avoid the wrath of God is to trust in the, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So the prophecy, again, not only made clear that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, but that her Messiah would appear, but would be rejected, and thus she would be disciplined again for rejecting her Messiah, and Jerusalem would once again be destroyed. Now, the nation would also be deceived into entering into agreement, this prophecy tells us, with a Roman dictator, the Antichrist we know him as, who will stop sacrifices in the temple, but would be destroyed in the end by God. 
And in fact, when we do Habakkuk chapter 3, I told you, I put passed, passed you through a couple of passages, two verses, is a description of God, Jesus Christ killing the Antichrist in that chapter of Habakkuk chapter 3. So the prophecy of the 70 weeks tells Daniel that Israel would continue to rebel against God and would thus again be disciplined by him severely. However, this corporate apostasy is coming to an end. Her corporate sin would be dealt with, which we know was dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ, and everlasting righteousness would be experienced in Israel, and all that God predicted with regards to the nation of Israel would come to pass. Gabriel begins by telling Daniel, that in Daniel 9.24, that 77s have been decreed for his people, as well as his holy city, Jerusalem, and again, that's 490 prophetic years of 60, 360 days, and I explain in detail why that is. Go in the previous classes, I go into it. Now notice that Daniel informs Daniel in Daniel 9.24, that, uh, that Gabriel informs Daniel in Daniel 9.24, that this decree of the 70 weeks of years, or 490 prophetic years, was for the benefit of Daniel's people at his holy city. And of course, that's a, the holy city is, of course, Jerusalem. And we see that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the holy city of Jerusalem is in view here, and the Jewish people are in view here as well. The church is not even in view. The church has nothing to do with this. So Gabriel proceeds to describe for Daniel the sixfold objectives of the 77s, or 70 units of seven, uh, 70 years, 490 prophetic years. Now, it's interesting before I go further. Gabriel's the guy, you know, we, we, you know there's a book, First Enoch, that talks, and we talked about that when we did Jude. The Jews had a lot of, they, they had listed a lot of names for some of the, the elect angels and the demons, okay? Now, the scriptures haven't told us any names of any angels, except for Michael, who's the ruler, angelic ruler over the nation of Israel, who protects her, even when she's been dispersed throughout the nations as she, as she was for many, for thousand, two thousand years, okay? But there's also Gabriel. It's interesting, Gabriel appears when salvation is in view. Great honor the birth of Christ, the birth of Messiah, and this, this 70 weeks prophecy, which is about the deliverance of the nation of Israel in the future, salvation in that interesting. So Gabriel seems to be associated when it comes to salvation of Israel and the nations. And then Michael, again, he is clearly made in this, in this book of Daniel, he in, in Revelation uh, chapter 12, he is the, guy, he's the angel who is the, he's the archangel. He's a ruler angel over the nation of Israel. In fact, I believe it's in, uh, in, in Thessalonians. He is the absolute ruler, angelic ruler over the nation of Israel. In fact, all the nations, as we pointed out, in Jude, and this is true in Daniel chapter 10, Jesus says, all the, the nations of the world and their leaders are under the authority of Satan and his fallen angels. Israel's the only one that's not. Okay? This is why we should pray for our nation, because of that. That's one reason. So we have the sixfold divine objectives for the nation of Israel in the 70 weeks prophecy mentioned to us in Daniel 9, 24. Look at your passage again in your Bibles. 77 is a decree for your people, the Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. The first three are interrelated, speaking of the same, and they're fulfilled in the same day, as I pointed out. And the last three are interrelated as well, connected to each other, inextricably tied. And they speak of a 
the thousand year reign of millennial Christ of Jesus Christ. So, what does this put it in to finish transgression? Uh, on the board, if you look at my uh, slide here for you, put an end to rebellion is how I translate it. It speaks of the corporate rebellion of the nation of Israel against God being brought to an end on the Day of Atonement, which in the Old Testament was found in Leviticus 23. What's interesting, you look at the seven feasts of Israel, Christ, he's the he's 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ is our Passover. He's the literal fulfillment of Passover. And the feast of, uh, uh, he's also the, you know, the feast of, uh, the, uh, the feast of um, Pentecost, that was literally fulfilled in history. When he sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Jesus did. Okay, for, for the Jewish believers, Acts chapter 2. And then for the Gentile believers, in Acts chapter 10. He's the, he's the literal fulfillment of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's connected to the Feast of Passover. Okay, so Jesus, he's the, the Day of Atonement, he will literally fulfill at his second advent when there'll be a national mourning in Israel, a repentance. They'll change their attitude about Jesus Christ and it'll be reflected in their emotions pouring out for this one that their forefathers had rejected and they had made uh, mocked. So when it says to put an end to rebellion, the rebellion, it speaks of the corporate rebellion of the nation of Israel against God being brought to an end on the day of atonement, which will occur at the second advent of Jesus Christ. Now this phrase does not refer to the cross of Jesus Christ because the nation of Israel continue to rebel against God after the cross. However, the cross of Christ, though, is the basis for this rebellion being brought to an end. It couldn't come to an end unless Christ did what he did at the cross. Rather, again, it refers to the Day of Atonement, which will occur at the second advent, since at that time the rebellion against God by the nation of Israel will come to an end, since at that time there will be a national regeneration. They'll get born again, the majority in Israel, contrast to what took place in the first advent. Now when it says to bring sin to an end, in my translation, I think the, net, uh, the and I, yeah, put to, a, to put an end to sin. What's that all about? Same thing. It speaks of the corporate sin of the nation of Israel being brought to an end on the Day of Atonement, which again will occur at the second advent of Christ. And for the same, for the first objective, it does not refer to the cross of Christ because again, the nation of Israel continued to sin and rebel against God after the cross. However, again, the cross of Christ is the basis for Israel's sin being brought to an end. So rather than again, it, like the first objective, it refers to the Day of Atonement occurring at the second advent. Because at that time, again, the corporate sin of Israel will finally be brought to an end. Since at that time, there's going to again be a national regeneration of the nation of Israel. At the second advent, the majority in Israel will exercise faith in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation and, it'll be, and will be regenerated and receive the forgiveness of sins, which is a stipulation in the new covenant. And so therefore, the corporate, of sin, the corporate sin of Israel will finally be brought to an end. So the reason why they have trouble in the world, and the reason why they're the most persecuted group of people in history, nobody's even close to them. The blacks are not the most persecuted people, and not were the Roman Catholics, and no, it was the Italians, all right? It's the Jews. The Jews have had it as the toughest. Why? Because the Jews received the greatest all over. They, had the, they were the chosen nation to bring in, to be the vehicle, the conduit for bringing the Savior in. And they had the Old Testament scriptures and the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, the, the, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob progenitors of the nation of Israel. King David, okay, he was given promises under the Davidic covenant that a descendant will sit on his throne forever. That's Jesus. Salvation is of the Jews. 
So that's why, to whom much is given, much is required. And that's why they suffer, and they will continue to suffer. But that we need to, we need to balance that. To the Jew first, to the Gentile. We must not be like some Christians in the past, like Martin Luther toward the end of his life, being anti-Semitic. That's just what the devil wants. Jesus is a Jew. We have brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ that are Jewish. Satan would like you to be, to be have an attitude toward the Jewish people. Now, I must balance this too. Just because we, we support Israel, that doesn't mean that we should just you know, agree with everyone. When Israel does something stupid, that we should just agree with them. Just like we should not be idolatrous that we, whenever our nation does something stupid, oh, it's our country, whatever it says. No, we want justice and righteousness. We want our country to operate in a fashion that honors God. So when our country's wrong, it's not wrong. It's in our Constitution and Bill of Rights to dissent. We have a right in that country, in our country. I want my country and the people who dissent many times love their country more than the people just go along with what our nation does. No, I don't go along with everything our country does or it's done in the past. And it should be the way with Israel as well. We're God is a God of truth and justice and that's how we should be acting and that's how our attitude should be to our own nation and the nation of Israel in every nation. Because that's how God asks us to live our lives. Okay? So, we see to atone for iniquity. What's that all about? It's again, another reference to the corporate sin of the nation of Israel. But this time, being atoned for on the day of atonement, which again will occur at the second advent. Again, for this, just like the first two objectives, this does not revert to the cross of Christ. Because the nation of Israel, once again, as I said before, continue to sin and rebel against God after the cross. However, again, the cross of Christ is the basis for Israel's sin being atoned for. So therefore, we see that this third objective refers to the day of atonement, which will literally be fulfilled and take place at the second advent because at that time, the corporate sin of Israel will be atoned for in the sense that the majority in Israel will exercise faith in Jesus Christ, which appropriates the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we see, therefore, we can see that the first three objectives for the 77s or the or weeks, or in other words, 490 prophetic years, refers to the corporate or national sin of the nation of Israel being brought to an end on the Day of Atonement, which will take place again at the second advent of Jesus Christ. At that time, the majority in the nation of Israel and we're going to be studying the second advent and all the details related to it, by the way. We get to it. I told you we're going to do a lot of ground, cover a lot of ground. At that time, the majority of the nation of Israel will exercise faith in Jesus Christ so as to appropriate his finished work on the cross, which he accomplished during his first advent. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34 predicts this. Ezekiel 37, the dry bones passage, is all about that. <coughs> Zechariah 12 and Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. So, I want to go and let's hop over to Zechariah chapter 12 real quick. Go, hold your place. Go to Zechariah chapter 12, toward the end of your Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1.
Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, uh, Zechariah was a, a contemporary with Haggai. Remember we studied the book of Haggai? He was, he was around the day, you know, they go back and finish the temple. Okay, he was part of that. This book is fantastic. And this is another book in the Old Testament that, you, like Daniel, you must know and study to understand Revelation. Okay, Daniel, Zechariah are very important. So one day I'm going to do this book uh, in, uh, in all twelve chap, uh, all fourteen chapters. So I, I'm, that I don't know. That might be the next Old Testament book I work on for myself, Exodus, before I teach you. So Zechariah chapter twelve, verse one, an oracle. This is what the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him, declares, "I'm going to make Jerusalem." a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. And this is yet future. In fact, we're seeing a little bit of taste of it in history right now, especially for the last, uh, since Israel back in the land, 1948. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure, them, injure themselves, including the, the Antichrist and his uh, United States of Europe. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over the house of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Then the leaders of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, is their God. On that day, I will make the leaders of Judah like a fire pot in a wood pile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. They will consume right and left all the surrounding peoples, but Jerusalem will remain in intact in a place. In fact, we studied Obadiah, verses 17 through 21, and we talked about that the, the Jews, regenerate Jews, when they see Jesus coming, it just ignites them to fight. And they fight like King David, the whole bunch of them, as this passage says. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. So you have the Lord coming back and the spirit and dwelling the regenerate citizens of the nation of Israel at that time on the second advent. They will be empowered by the Spirit, just like King David was, to fight Goliath. They will be fighting the Antichrist and the tribulational armies, these Jews. Now look at the, here comes the Day of Atonement, the second advent of Christ. Look what happens. On I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Why? Because they trusted in Jesus. He's their last hope. They're surrounded by their enemies. Antichrist is, 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 is captured this, captured this city. The Jews are throughout the world have been dispersed. The tribulational armies have descended on uh, Jezreel Valley. Okay? And the, the armies of the east, China, have gone across the dried up Euphrates River and they're going to be at war right in that, that little piece of the land that we know is Israel today. And the whole nation will be overrun. Who are they going to turn to? Finally. Finally, they'll turn to Jesus, their great prophet and king that they crucified 2,000 years ago. And they will look on me, the one who they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Said so this to a Jewish person, who in your history that you pierced him? And who? Wasn't it Jesus? 
And they just looked. Why can't they see this? Didn't you read what Paul says? A veil is over their eyes. It was only lifted through faith in Jesus. They had to take that jump. That's why we are not blinded. We have the Spirit only because God lifted that veil through our faith in Jesus as our Savior on the day of justification. Here's the repentance, the national regeneration of Israel. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Haddon Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. Just think about this. They're thinking about all the centuries of what they, of, of they, they're mocking Jesus of Nazareth, crucifying, claiming that he was dwelt by a demon. And they'll be just absolutely, te- te- felt, will be like absolutely beside themselves that they and their forefathers treated this, Jesus of Nazareth like that. The land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves, and the clan of the house of David and their wives, and the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, and the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, the clan of Shemai and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives. So, we couldn't go back now to Daniel 9.24. Let's look at the final three objectives of the 70 weeks prophecy. 77 is a decree for your people, Daniel 9.24, and your holy city, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. Corporate sin of Israel come to an end at the day of atonement. It's not speaking of the cross of Christ, these three objectives, because the nation of Israel continued to sin after the cross. But the cross was the basis for the corporate sin of Israel coming to an end. Then it says to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So, as you look at this slide on the board, we see that to bring in everlasting righteousness refers to the righteousness Will be, which will be manifested by the nation of Israel, regenerate Israel, during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the millennial kingdom will be characterized by righteousness. We're going to study the millennium in great detail. We're going to find out it'll be characterized by righteousness. Which righteousness? Really, simply this. To do right by God and our fellow human being. What's that? It's tied to the command to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's righteousness. And to love your neighbors yourself. You show you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving your neighbors yourself. And for the church, is to love one another in the body of Christ as Christ has loved us, right? That's righteousness. Doing right by your fellow believer and your fellow human being. When we do that, we'll do right by God. Because God commands us to love our neighbors ourselves and our brother and sister in Christ, as Christ did. Then it says, this is quite cool, to seal up vis- prophetic vision or vision and prophecy. That denotes that all that God com- communi- communicated to the is- nation of Israel through the prophets of Israel regarding her future and the future of planet Earth will come to pass, or in other words, will be completely fulfilled. And this has not been fulfilled yet because much prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. For example, the rapture of the church, which is a mystery of the Old Testament prophets, has not been fulfilled yet. It's imminent. The 70th week... And the second advent of Christ, the resurrection of Old Testament Israel, the national regeneration of Israel, the day of atonement, the second advent of Christ, and Christ's millennial reign on earth have yet to be fulfilled. There's so much, there's like two-thirds of the Bible yet to be fulfilled as far as prophecy is concerned. We have yet to see fulfilled in history the Gog-Magog revolution led by Satan after he's released from prison, the destruction of the present heavens and earth, and the great white throne judgment has not taken place, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth 
have yet to come to pass, all of which we're going to study this subject of the day of the Lord. So this objective, to seal up prophetic vision or vision and prophecy, it refers to all the prophetic supernatural revelations from God, which was communicated to Israel through the prophets like Daniel. Then we have to anoint the most holy place. That refers to the millennial temple being anointed as a symbolic act of dedicating this temple to the worship of the Lord. To summarize, people, and bring this class to an end, the first three divine objectives for the 70 weeks, or 77, or 490 prophetic years, deal with the Day of Atonement, which again will take place at the second advent of Christ. The last three deal with our Lord's literal 1,000-year bodily reign as king over all the earth, and that in which he will rule from Jerusalem over the nations. And we're the bride of Christ. We're right there. we got a ringside seat to this. Isn't that cool? This is God wants you to know this is coming. He wants you to know these things, to motivate you, to live in a fashion that's consistent with who you are going to be and who you are now and what he's going to make you, perfecting you in a resurrection body. He wants to give you rewards. He wants you to know you got a future and that this is world is passing away and don't love the things of the world, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. But in the standards of the world, don't live according to them. Don't hang your hat in this world or its idols because they'll, they'll let you down. Trust him because the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So we might be the off-scouring of the world because we worship this Jesus. But we're going we're to reign. And we're going we're gonna to rule this earth. And if we are overcomers of Revelation 2 and 3 who execute God's plan for their lives and grow to spiritual maturity by being good steward with their time, talent, and treasure and truth that God gave them, you're going to get rewards and you'll be, some of you will be rulers of some of these nations during the millennial reign. Who knows? Could be Sally, who's going to be reigning in New York one day. Or Robin. Or Kirk. Or Scott. Maybe they're going to give him New Orleans. I don't know. We'll see. Who runs? If we go to spiritual maturity, I'd like to see. You should want to do that. Because to get these rewards and to get this kind of promotion and responsibility, you've got to use God's power to get there. None of us are going to get there. If we're going to, if we're going to get there, it's going to be through God's power. And we appropriate God's power by having faith and obedience in God's word, which is alive and powerful. It's just that simple, people, as many of you know. So notice, we'll close with this, the order and that the second advent precedes the millennial kingdom. Thus, Daniel is premillennial. In fact, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 says that. Also, each of these objectives has yet to be fulfilled in history. It is thus awaiting a fulfillment in the future. The second advent of Christ has not taken place, people, and neither has his subsequent millennial reign on earth, contrary to the uh, post-millennialists and all that. So, the second advent of Christ has not taken place, and neither has the millennial reign that follows it, which are being referred to by the six objectives. So next week, same time, same back channel, remember Batman, we're going to study the beginning. We're going to study the beginning of the 70 weeks prophecy and the end of the 69th week next Wednesday evening. So let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining me here this evening. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this great revelation that you've given to us in Scripture. 
We just thank you and praise you for another day of Bible doctrine. I thank you for each and every person that's here this evening that is a serious student of the Word of God that loves your Word and wants to bring glory to you by pr practicing it. And so, Father, we pray that this Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, would do a mighty work through all of us and helping us understand what has been taught and help us to make proper application and uh, to also, as a result, motivate us to live this spiritual life in light of these things that are yet they're imminent and are, uh, could be right tomorrow if the rapture happens today. So we just pray that this lesson be a blessing to you and ultimately bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, the, the great God and King, our Savior. And we thank you and we love you, Lord Jesus, and we love you, Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit. And again, we pray he would do a mighty work through all of us. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll sing us a song against that.
swell.